How many of us, that's so true, there's things that we follow, things that we chase after, but sometimes we follow things that really have no value to it. And we want to follow the heart of God. Some of us are close to God, some of us far from God. Regardless of where we are, it doesn't change the fact that God's heart pursues after us. And it's neat to find in in this group of people so many different mixes of us because we all have grown up differently. We all pursue different things. Some of us pursue a college career or a a college degree. Some of us pursue some kind of uh, career track. Uh, Some of us pursue a relationship. Some of us pursue friendships or we pursue how many friends we can have on Facebook or we pursue so many different things that really make us feel better. And so we pursue so many things. We'll pursue a better car. We'll, pur- we'll pursue uh, how to be better parents. Uh, we'll, we'll pursue movies because there's great movies coming out. And we pursue so many things. We even will pursue a new home. Or if we're looking for a place to rent and we pursue those things. Heidi and I were looking for a place to rent when our kids were little, uh, Right now, my oldest is 23 and our youngest is 17. But they were about, you know, four or five years old. And my other son was a couple months old. And we're looking for a place to rent. And so we're going all over town. Now, we live in Hawaii. So pretty much everyone's home has cockroaches. But we're looking for a place to rent without any cockroaches. So good luck on that one. And so we're looking at different houses. We find one we like. But then we open the cupboards and then we find dead cockroaches. So we say, no, not this one. We're out of here. Then we'll go to another home, nicely painted fresh walls. But the carpet is dirty. So we say, we're out of here, not this one. And so we'll go to different homes and we're, we're continuously looking for the right one. Finally, we walk into this one home, brand new carpeting, freshly painted walls, new screens, small yard, less work. No need to mow the lawn and weed whack and weed kill. So we thought it's, it's perfect for us. That ended our pursuit to finding a home for us to live in. And I thought in all the things that we pursue, usually we pursue things that fit us. Whatever fits our liking, whatever we agree with, that's what we will usually pursue. And if we come to something or a place that we're pursuing or something that we're pursuing and we don't agree or like it, then we turn the other direction. You see, we know what it's like and we we know that feeling of pursuing something. But did you know that there is one area that when we pursue, it adds life to us? It doesn't drain us. It actually fills us. It fills our spirit. It fills our soul. And it actually gives us life, and that is pursuing the heart of God. Now, we're in our series, The Heart of God, and we're learning about what does that mean? What is the heart of God? Is God just some uh, creature out there? Is He some force? What is God? Does He have a heart? Does He have feelings? Does He have, does he have a passion for people? What, what is this about God that makes us pursue Him? What is it about us that wants to pursue something greater than ourselves? What's inside of us? Why is it that we pursue everlasting life? Why do we pursue things? And we're going to learn this morning from a man by the name of David, who is found in the Bible, who pursued God's heart. 
Because we can all be people who understand what it means to pursue the heart of God and how to do that. And we're going to look at some practical ways in doing so. Now, King David, before he became the king, there was another man by the name of Saul who became king. He was the first king of Israel. And Saul made some decisions that changed the course of his life and even the direction that God had for him. And so Saul is now removed from being king, and now God chooses someone else to be king, which is David, who the Bible says, that God said, he is a man after my own heart. In your bulletin, there's some notes that you can take out and follow along. And in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 22, we find that the disciples started to understand what God was doing in the world, that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so now the disciples are trying to do their very best to bring hope into a hopeless generation, into a hopeless world. Not too much has changed since those days. Our world still goes backwards. We still crumble. We still fall. We still make mistakes. As human beings, we still make decisions that we feel are best, but it doesn't suit everyone's needs. And so by the time that this... The early church is being birthed, and, and they're trying to help people understand God. They, they put this, and, and they write these words because they understand about King David. They understood something, and they learned something. And it says that when he had removed him, talking about Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. Now, David made some mistakes. He made tons of mistakes, and we're going to find that out as we read his life and and study what was going on in his life and see what God was doing in his life and how Jesus plays a part in all of this because Jesus was actually from the lineage of David. And as that that continued on, now we find that there's there's a hope that God brings to the world through Jesus Christ. David dealt with sin, he dealt with selfishness, he dealt with making decisions, he dealt with temptations, everything we dealt with, everything we deal with. And we can learn some things from King David. And as we learn about how we can be people who pursue the heart of God, the reason why we can learn from David is because God specifically said, here's a man after my own heart. Even though he made some life-altering decisions. You know, some things that David didn't do well, we can also learn from too. And what David didn't do well is turn quickly from situations that really shifted his life. And so if you are taking notes, here's some things that we can learn from King David. And, and the first thing is to turn quickly from situations that alter my life. Because there's going to be life-altering decisions that we'll have to make. And if we don't know how to make these decisions, we will find out in retrospect what we should have done rather than knowing what we can do and what decisions to make in pursuing God's heart. Because once we know the heart of God, the decisions that come our way and the ones that will alter our life for not good, we can discern those decisions and discern what we need to do because we understand the heart of God. And when I allow situations and others to alter my life, then actually those things can slowly pull me away from the heart of God. Slowly. 
And without even recognizing it and without even realizing it, things and others can become my small g, God. And they can actually lead me astray. The way I grew up, the situations I find myself in, the way I treat other people can slowly pull me away from pursuing God's heart. And after a while, I won't even realize it, but then I'll be so far from God that I don't even know His heart. And it slowly comes into our life. Then I can choose for my life to be altered for good or to be altered for evil. It's really my choice. I can make those decisions. And sometimes we feel, well, my life is fine. I'm I'm fine. I, I don't need God in my life. And that may be true for you right now. But life doesn't exist only when we breathe. There's going to come a day when we're done with this body that our spirits are going to go on forever. Then what do I do? See, I have decisions to make all the time. When I first started to come into a relationship with God and started to understand that He had a plan for me and a purpose for my life, then I began to struggle with the ways of my old life and then like this new way of living. And, you know, I would love to go drinking and getting drunk and because it made me feel good. And then I would come to church and I'd feel bad because, you know, I'm all hungover and I, you know, I can't even focus in church. I'm tired. But then I would struggle with that. And after a while, I started to think, wait, wait, what do I want my life to be? You know, where do I want to be? When I would struggle with my thought life and, and how I treated other people, boy, it was such a struggle because I would have selfish motives. But then I started to think through, wait a minute, is, will this decision change the course of my life? By the way I treat people and how I react and how I, how I respond to certain situations, am I altering my life course from what it could be in God's sight? Because if it's true that God has plans for us and they're for good and not for evil, and it's for a purpose then that must mean I too will have my own plans for my life with my own reasons. And I'll probably look for things that will make me feel better for the plans that I have for my life. But God knows how we work best. He created us. So the plans that He has for us are for good and not for evil. Yeah, but what about the things that go on in my life and they're not good for me? What about things that happen to me or things that people did to me and and it's not good? Did God want that to happen? Listen, God is good. In Him is no darkness at all. In the world, there is. And people will choose to make decisions. And I thought, Lord, then I want to be somebody who stays close to your heart so that I understand that with every moment that goes on, every decision that I make, it's, I'm only one moment, one decision, one thought away from an, a life-altering decision. Because one decision can change the whole course of my life. One mistake can change the whole plans that God has for my life. And King David struggled with that. He had to make some major decisions. He was tempted like we are. He had to make major decisions. He had to think through the decisions that he made. In fact, one of his life-altering moments happened in this case in 2 Samuel, verse, excuse me, chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. 
It happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David turned away quickly, and he saved his whole entire life. Wouldn't it be great if it read like that? That would be like so good. But, but no, David sent and inquired about the woman. He said, go get her number. I want to call her. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? In other words, David could have turned away, but he said, it's too tempting. Go find out where she lived. Go find out who this girl is. And they found out who she was and actually goes and gets her. And David makes another life-altering decision and he takes her into his bedroom, sleeps with her, she becomes pregnant, and now he does not know what to do. Because now you have all this drama happening, and he's the king. So now he has to think through, how am I going to fix this? What am I going to do? So he actually calls Uriah, her husband, out from battle to come home, and he says, you know, take furlough. Relax. Come back home. Go home to your family. Relax. So Uriah comes back, And comes to the king's palace. David talks to him and then closes the door and Uriah leaves. And David is thinking, my plan is coming to pass. He'll go home. He'll be with his wife. And he'll sleep with her. And they'll think that that's their child. Because there's no Jerry Springer back then. No DNA testing. (laughs) So you are the father. And so he, he conspires and puts together this whole plan. But in the morning, he opens the palace doors, and there Uriah is, standing guard. And David says, hey, did did you not go home? And he says, no, king, how can I go home when the men are at war? How honorable is that for Uriah? And so David sends him back into war, and now David is stuck once again. He's like, okay, how am I going to do this? This plan is not coming to pass. I am failing at my plan. And so now he tells his commander to take all the men into the hottest part of battle, the worst part in battle. Take Uriah there and then retreat and leave him there to die. And so they do that. Uriah ends up dying in war. Bathsheba, saddened by her husband's death, mourns for a while and and David let her mourn. But then David takes her to be one of his wives. And now David has to deal with all of this, all of this burden on him. Now, can you imagine what David is going through? That he made a life-altering decision. He didn't quickly turn away. Now he has to deal with this. Well, a man by the name of Nathan, who is close to David, who knows David's heart, who knows the things of God. He's a prophet. He comes to David and he says, hey, David, how are you doing? And he tries to make good. But there's some things that are still inside of David that he's wrestling with. And something that we can learn from this whole situation and that we can learn from David is for us not to just point fingers and blame and conspire and try to spread out the things that we're doing that are wrong and and try to put it on other people, but for us to really take ownership of the things that we've done that are not good. The decisions that we make that pull people away from God and the decisions that we make 
that actually hinder our relationship with God and the decisions that we make that alter the course of our life, we must take responsibility and take ownership of that, not blame other people. And that's a difficult thing to do because we, we, we want justice we, and, and we justify our actions. But if we never own our decisions, then we'll never learn from them. We'll fall into the same routine over and over and over again. And the God of the universe, even with all the power that He has, if I don't take ownership of my decisions, even His power cannot help me. Because I refuse to take ownership of it and I blame everybody else. If we're ever going to learn anything with King David and pursuing God's heart, can you write this in number two? To own my decisions, don't blame. Don't blame. Own our decisions. It takes two to tangle. I understand that, but it takes three to detangle, which is God Himself. You add Him in the picture, oh, He can do a mighty work, even though the situations we're in are horrific and horrible and hard to get out of. He can help us through. In 2 Samuel, I'll read the story that Nathan is telling David because he comes to David and he says, Hey, David, how are things going? And David is saying, I'm pretty good. So Samuel says, You know, I have a story to tell you. And it's in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So the Lord tells Nathan, go to David. And he came to David and said to him, Hey, David, here, here's a story I'd like to tell you. Now, there were two men, one in one city, oh, two men in one city. One was rich and the other poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate out of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. So kind of like the family pet. It's now part of the family. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So instead of taking one from his own flock, which he had a lot of sheep, choke sheep, he takes from this one poor guy's only pet sheep and prepares that. Now David, watch his reaction. So David was angry and greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. I can see the little smile on Nathan's face as he looks at David and he says, David, you're that man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you to your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had, not, had, if that had been too little, I also would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword. And you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversary 
against you from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. And then he continues, and this is in your notes, Second Samuel 12, 12 and 13. He says, For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And now here's where we can learn from David also. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And David said, and Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. Now, of course, it's a horrible thing that David did. But the moment he's confronted, he turns. He asks for forgiveness. He repents. In fact, a lot of the book of Psalms, if you read it, you'll see the heart of David repenting, turning away, asking God to clean out his heart. And David said, I don't want to be that person. I want to change. David owned his decision and he didn't blame anyone else. He owned his decision. He could have blamed other people. He could have even blamed God. But he took the decision for himself and he owned it. And now because he owned it, he could now give it to God and have God help him through it. And now because he cast his his burden on God, it was less of a burden for him. Not so that we do whatever we want and say, oh, sorry, mistake, my bad. And then go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. Can you take this away? Go out, do the same thing again. Oh, shuck, sorry. Mistake. Okay, God, forgive me for this. Do the same thing over and over and over again. Listen, we learn nothing when we do that. That's not why God says to own your decision. He's saying you got to own it so you know what to do the next time. So that we become more and more like the heart of God as we pursue His heart. And David said, look, I've done wrong. I've done wrong. And I change. I want to change. I want to be better. And although David changed and repented, although he did that, his life was not the same as it would have been prior to everything that he did. He still had to deal with major consequences thereafter, but at least he was now in the grace and hands of God. And God could take him from there. God could help him from there. And he could help him with the other decisions that he would need to make for the rest of his entire life. See, if if I don't change my path in secret, then all my secrets will come out and change my path for all to see. I have a choice. And if I don't change my path, if it's going for not good and for evil and against God, if I don't change that in secret, then all my secrets will come out for all to see. Then change my path. And David said, okay, I've done enough. I want to get back on track. I don't want to blame people. I want to be, I want to be back on track with you. Because we can blame. Isn't it easy to blame? It's so simple to do that. We come home, something's not right, or something's dirty, something's unclean. We find somebody else who did it, or we try to blame other people. It's like the manager of the baseball team who they weren't doing good, and his center fielder wasn't doing so good. He grabbed the center fielder and said, get out of the game, sit on the bench. And he took his place. So now here's the manager of the baseball team playing center field. Well, a ball comes his way, takes a bad bounce, crashes him in the mouth, gets buck tooth. And so now he's out there missing teeth. And so now he's waiting for the next hit. 
Well, a pop fly comes up and he's ready to catch the ball, but the sun is in his eyes and it, he misses the ball, smashes him in the forehead, leaving a big bruise with the little stitches on it. And then finally the third ball, line drive, hard line drive coming his way. He dives for it, misses it, smashes him in his eye. Has a black eye, buck tooth, and a bruised forehead. He storms off the field, grabs his center fielder and says, You idiot! You messed center field up so bad I can't do a single thing. Get out there. Fix it. And I thought, I, I can be like that. I can, I can blame other people for the mishaps in my life. I can blame other people for the mistakes that I've made. I can blame anyone else, but I learn nothing. It is said that those who look for fault in others never find anything else. Even if there are good things happening, if we only look for fault and look for people to blame, that's really not the heart of God. We'll never find good in people. We'll never find good in the world. We'll never find good in our workplace. We'll never find good in the environment that surrounds us. We'll never find good in our family. If we're only looking out for blame and not taking ownership of things that we do too, we learn nothing. We'll never find good. Even though God gives us good news, we won't see it. Because we're looking out for everybody else and what faults they have. Rather than taking ownership of my decisions and looking at what God is doing in my own heart and say, God, change me. I read this and it says, all blame is a waste of time. No matter how much fault you find with one another and regardless of how much you blame them, it will not change you. The only thing blame does is to keep the focus off you when you are looking for external reasons to explain your unhappiness or frustration. You may succeed in making another feel guilty of something by blaming them, but you won't succeed in changing whatever it is about you that makes you unhappy. But when we pursue the heart of God, boy, it changes the whole perspective in our life. Own those decisions. Give it back to God and ask God for help. And if it's true that it only takes one moment, one decision, one mistake to alter the course of our life, then it is also true because of God's grace and His love that it only takes one decision to get back on track with the things of God. Regardless of how far we are from God, it only takes one repentive act, one change of the mind, one change of the way we think. One small step in the right direction changes the course of our entire life, our entire marriage, our entire family, community, city, state, and world. One decision. And we can make that decision. It's really up to us. Our life may not be exactly how we want it, but at least now, because of this decision to get back on track with God, I'm now under God's grace, in His hands, and that He provides for me, that He'll care for me. I'm back in His hands and in His care. So I Acts 3.19 says it like this, To repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Don't you feel like in our world today, wouldn't it be good to just have times 
of refreshing. We need that because there's no hope left in the world. We'll survive, but very rarely will we be refreshed by the things of the world. Oh, it'll help a little bit, maybe for a temporary time. But boy, when we're refreshed by the God of the universe himself, it's a different kind of refreshing. It's way different. It's nourishing for our souls. When the Bible says to be converted, it's talking about going back to the love of God, going back to your worship unto God, going back to our obedience to God. saying, convert back to that. Instead of running from God, run towards Him. Run in that direction. Don't follow man, follow God. He's the one that cares for our needs. He knows what is best. Pursue the things of God. You can write that in your last point. Pursue the things of God. Pursue it. Have a passion for God. Develop that. It's not some religious, fanatical kind of thing. It's, it's actually a relationship. You know when you first started dating and you fell in love? You pursue that relationship regardless of what is taking place. You put on cologne, perfume, makeup, whatever, to make that date go well. Because you're pursuing someone who you care about. Pursue the things of God because He cares for us. Pursue after Him. Why waste time pursuing things that really have no eternal value to it? Now, we pursue things in life which we're not pursuing it because they become our God. We pursue it because we need to. We need to work. We need to you know, pay for bills and things like that. But it doesn't replace God. He's still our God. But when we pursue the things of God, we begin to learn His heart. We begin to learn what it means to be someone who serves Christ diligently with a relationship with Him. Ephesians 6, verses 5-7, through 7, it says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. And what they were addressing was the slaves back then who had their masters, and he's relating it to how we as people can be too. And he says, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. The Bible is saying to pursue these things with sincerity of heart. Because it takes a heart to follow God. It really does. It doesn't take thought. Because once we start to analyze God, because He's higher than us, we'll never understand Him. It takes a heart to understand God, because that's what God is after. He's after our heart. And the Bible says, don't be a self-seeker or somebody who pleases man. Be someone who's pleasing to God with sincerity of heart, not self-seeking. That's how we can discern between, am I pursuing the things of man or am I pursuing the things of God? What is the motive behind it? Is there selfishness in there? Because you can discern the difference between the things of God and the things of man by is it self-seeking or God-honoring? Is this honoring to God? Some time ago when my son was young, uh, he was in a car seat, so that's probably about, I don't know, 19 years ago. And we're starting to come to church and learning about God. I'm coming across the Paneva stretch, coming into Hilo from the Puna side, and a car pulls out in front of me. And I think I told this story before, but I had to slow down quickly or else I'm going to hit this guy, and I actually had to go around him. And so I'm angry. And now I have a decision to make. 
Either I'm going to pursue this person or I'm going to let it go. And being the godly man that I am, I pursued him. So I chased him down. And so I'm following this guy and I'm trying to get his attention. Well, I know that he has my attention because he keeps going away from me. Finally, I chase him all the way to the Prince Hill Plaza. And I pull around the parking lot and I speed through the parking lot and I cut him off. And he stops in front of me and I rode on my window because it was, you know, wasn't electronic back then. So I rode on my window and I'm just staring at him. And Heidi is saying, just let it go. Let, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going, I am out. I just going to tell, I tell him, I, go, I am out. And so I just stare at him. And then I roll up the window, all cool, trying to make it smooth, but it's not because it's, you know, the roll up window. And so I let it go and then we're done. But I was still angry. I felt good. But boy, was I still angry. And then when I left that scene, I, I really pondered on this. And I thought, although it felt good for the moment, that's not who I want to be. I, what, what did I do? I just made myself worse. I actually put my family in more danger than what he did to me. I thought, I don't want to make a life-changing moment because of small things that come my way. Instead of pursuing the things of the world and my selfishness, I want to pursue the things of God. He's the one that will carry the things for me that I cannot carry. The decisions that we make, is it more God than I? Pursue the things of God. Now, why is it important to pursue the things of God? Because He knows how we work best. He knows what's best for us. He created us. He knows how we think. He knows how we operate well. He knows what's good for us. And when we pursue the things of God, He knows the plans that He has for us. It's for good, not for evil, to give us a future and a hope. This world looks a little hopeless from time to time, but God came to give us hope. Pursue the heart of God. Amen? Amen. You can close your Bibles and put away your notes. No, there's many things that we'll do here at, at New Hope. And, and our heart is, is not to build some religious thing, but, but that we would learn the heart of God, that we would understand the heart of God and, and pursue His heart. That's why we're doing this regatta coming up on October 1st. That we're, we're doing our very best to connect with our community and especially to partner up with our, our canoe clubs and, and in our attempt to bring hope into this world. And we have our wish list in our fellowship hall that you can be a part of. And if God speaks to you and, and you want to be a part of that, great. Uh, we're going to have different divisions that day. We have our Kapuna division uh, that you can uh, have a team and then we have our family division, our Ohana division, that your family can uh, participate in. And then we have our Keiki division that our kids can participate in, and, and it'll be fun. And it's because it's ongoing and we're learning, it's our first time doing this, there's many things that we're, we're um, doing better and better as we get there and, and learning and how to do things. And then one of the things we've been finding is that there have been people who, wanting, who would want to do a team, but it's not their family, it's not... Uh, it's not, uh, they're not a kapuna, but they want to be with their family and friends, and, but there's no division for that. So we have those three divisions, and then we're adding a fourth division, and this is an open division. 
Now, this open division, you can bring in the big guns. Because then you can have, you know, a friendly, nice, wonderful competition. And, and, and it'll, it'll actually be, be geared towards different, uh, different categories within the open division. So if you have guys and, and gals on your team that you stack your team, I'll be cheering you on from the shore. You can do whatever you need to do. But it's going to be a fun time. And I think that'll help with reaching out to our family and friends and being there in the community because that's the purpose. It's to honor our kupuna, to connect with our community. And the hope would be maybe that someone would find God in all of this. So be a part of that. And that's why we do those things. Some of us are, we, we're a part of Save to Save, where we're saving our resources and finances so that we can finish the structure, our courtyard out there. And we'll be receiving a, an offering uh, come soon, probably in the ending of September. And what that will do is it'll go towards finalizing the structure. But here's the heart behind it. It's not to build another building. The heart behind it is that we would be able to be with our family and our friends as we fellowship or spend time together in a safe environment, in a place that, that we can find God and we can draw near to God. And so some of us are a part of that. And, and if you're not, if God speaks to you, be a part of it because it'll go for future generations. Our children's children will be able to enjoy that. And so be a part of that. Some of you volunteer and you understand the heart of God and you participate in the things of God because your heart is to pursue the things of God. Some of you have signed up for New Hope, New Life, our discipleship, and you're wanting to grow in the Lord and you're pursuing the things of God. Some of you this morning, this is your first time and, and, and maybe this experience for you was good or maybe it was shocking but whatever the case, understand that the heart of God is after your life. That He loves you with a passion. He's not out to get you. He's out to help you and to consume our life for the rest of eternity for good. It's not for evil. It's for good. And that's why we do everything that we do. We're trying our very best to pursue God's heart. So that as we learn about His heart, it bleeds into our families, it bleeds into our relationships, in our marriages, in our homes, in our communities, into our state and nation and world. Because God knows the plans that He has for us. They're for good, not for evil. To give us a future and a hope. Pursue God's heart. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me and we'll pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you have given us, again, another opportunity to learn more about you. You've given us your word to learn from. You've given us different people in the Bible that we can, we can glean from. We don't want to be people who, who make mistakes to learn. Boy, there's many people who have gone before us that has, have made many mistakes, many life-altering mistakes that we can learn from. Help us to learn today to be people who pursue your heart. And even though we may make mistakes, we can turn quickly, get back to your heart, your love, your forgiveness. And help us to be the kinds of people that pursue you, the things of God. Thank you for this relationship that we have with you. I pray for any of us this morning that, that we're burdened with something, that we're dealing with something, and, and we don't know how to deal with it. It's, it's still heavy upon us. That we would, as the Bible says, repent or change our ways or change our mind 
so that we turn away from the things that weigh us down and turn toward you, the one that lifts us up. And so I pray for all of us this morning that we would set our hearts and minds on you. Lord, there may be some this morning that they have never came into a relationship with you and they're far from you, but they don't realize it. Maybe this morning you've been tugging at their heart and and you've been giving them a picture of what their life is in you. And I pray if there's anyone here this morning, you've never given your heart to God. Now say a prayer and God hears your heart. And here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I turn away from them. And I turn toward you. I give you my heart. And I give you my life. I believe you died on the cross for me. And that you were raised from the grave. I believe in you. And I thank you for eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer for the very first time, I, I want to pray for you. Could you just lift a hand real quick? Nobody's looking around. I just want to pray for you. Good. Up here in the front. Good. God bless you in the back. And you just said yes to God. God bless you. Back there. God bless you. God bless you. God sees your hands. He sees your heart. He sees your new life. Right up here. God bless you. Back there. God sees your hands. Right here. God sees your heart. Right up here. God knows the plans. Back there. You can put your hands down. Lord, it's a new day for those that said yes to you. All the burdens, all the things that held them down, it's gone. It's only by your forgiveness that we're able to live a life that that is free from the things that weigh us down and pull us down. The new life that they have is for good, not for evil. They're a brand new creation. Old things have passed. All things are new. And I pray that this day forward will be the greatest time of their life. And that they'll never be the same. For all of us, Lord, that even as Christians, boy, there's times where we fall, we fail, we make mistakes, we treat others badly, we don't represent you well. Lord, change our hearts. We turn from those ways. We want to be better for you. And so we thank you for being a God of grace. Help us to be more like you as we pursue your heart. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, Amen. Amen.